0: Welcome to the Operating List podcast. I'm Katie Leal, one of the main podcast hosts for the Australasian Student Surgical Association, and I am delighted to be joined with a special guest today, Dr. Jessica N.G. Dr. Jessica N.G. is a general surgical registrar on the SET program and is currently in Queensland. She's very passionate about surgical education and has completed a master's degree that explored the teaching and learning of laparoscopic skills using simulation techniques. She is also an international speaker and holds academic appointments at Bonn University, Griffith University and the University of Queensland. She has a keen interest in research and has presented her work at conferences in Asia and Australia. Welcome Jess.
1: Hello, thanks for having me here.
0: Well Jess, um, you've been a personal role model for basically my entire medical school journey Um, and to be honest with you, this was a bit of a modest intro but we did speak a bit before the episode and I think uh, you didn't want me to embarrass you a bit too much with uh, all your accolades. So let's just jump straight into the high yield content that people are asking for.
1: All right, let's do that.
0: So today's episode is a part of the medical education series where we will be discussing the high yield surgical case. And this week we're discussing cholecystitis. Um, Cholecystitis is the inflammation of the gallbladder resulting from gallstone impaction from the cystic duct or the Hartman's pouch, which is near the neck of the gallbladder. And so the main difference between this and cholelithiasis, as in just having formed gallstones, is mainly the fact that it's actually caused the inflammation. And in that case, it can cause an infection and pain. And that's when people right. kind of present.
1: They can present while they have biliary colic. Uh, so while the cholelithiasis is causing pain, but cholecystitis is an acute presentation of this.
0: Yep. And are you seeing most people present directly to the hospital or do most people come to the GP prior?
1: With cholecystitis, when it's acute, they usually present via the emergency department. Usually patients with cholecystitis have had a history of biliary colic. Um, Biliary colic is uh, usually epigastric pain or right-of-quadrant pain that radiates throughout to the back. It generally lasts about 20 minutes and often occurs after eating a fatty meal.
0: What kind of examination and other than that history you've said, what sort of things are you seeing when the people come in?
1: When they have acute cholecystitis, usually they have a severe or constant pain that's been ongoing for hours to days. Uh, It's usually epigastric or in the right upper quadrant. Generally, they can be nauseated, they can be vomiting, they can have a low-grade fever. Um, and they can be quite anorexic as well. And when I see them in the emergency department, I look for pain on my examination. So that's usually pain in the epigastrium or the right upper quadrant on palpation of the abdomen. Now there is a sign that I do look for, it's called Murphy's sign. And it's elicited when I ask the patient to take a deep breath in and hold their breath while palpating the right subcostal area if the pain occurs on inspiration, the patient is Murphy's positive, and this is because the inflamed gallbladder comes in contact with my hand.
0: And so, is this sign enough for you to be fairly confident that this person has cholecystitis, or is that when you're kind of ordering the bloods and ultrasounds, etc.?
1: So I always, um, I always have a look at the bloods. I always uh, examine the patient first before imaging. Um, having a Murphy's positive sign is quite a good indication that the patient does have cholecystitis. When I'm looking for blood work, I'm usually looking for an elevated white cell count, and the patient can have a mildly elevated bilirubin, um, AST, ALT, ALP, and GGT as well. Okay,
0: and so obviously this is a surgical podcast, but what management are you doing for the patient prior to getting them to the operating room if that's where they're going?
1: Okay, so prior to the operating room, I usually have an ultrasound um, and this ultrasound usually shows a thickened gallbladder wall of over three millimeters and some pericolecystic fluid. Um, Generally, the report indicates that the patient has a sonographic Murphy's sign. So that's abdominal tenderness of the um, probe of the ultrasound above a visualized gallbladder. And usually there are either stones or sludge within the gallbladder as well. And sometimes there's a stone in the gallbladder neck or in the cystic duct. So once I've confirmed the uh, diagnosis on imaging, my management for this patient would be to provide them adequate analgesia, admit them under the surgical department, under the surgical team, hydrate them and keep them nil by mouth. Um, I give antibiotics as per therapeutic guidelines. So that's gentamicin and ampicillin. And then it comes to talking about an operation.
0: And so what timeframe, if someone has acute cholecystitis, are you taking them into the operating theater or is this completely dependent for each patient?
1: Well, in a well patient who is adequately fasted, I would like to do my uh, cholecystectomy as soon as possible. But as with all hospitals, there's an emergency board. So sometimes there is a bit of a wait and that's why it's quite important to make sure the patient has IV fluids while they're kept nil by mouth uh, because cases can be canceled, cases can be delayed. In an ideal world, I can do it as soon as, as soon as I can.
0: Okay, and so obviously once you know what's going on, you need to consent the patient um, for any kind of management that you're going to be doing um, and giving them options etc so in medical school they kind of teach us a little mnemonic to remember called um, PR BRAC like there's obviously a lot of different ways you could remember this but this is just one um, where it's procedure, rationale, benefit, risk, alternative and consent and in that last consent they sort of have to repeat back to you what you've said and make sure that they have an understanding of that
1: it's quite so, important that we do have adequate consent and for consent to be valid the patient must have capacity they must understand the information and they must be willing to undergo a procedure without any coercion um, you are correct everything you've said uh, regarding the mnemonic to be honest I, I haven't heard of that mnemonic before but it is important that the patient understands their condition understands the alternative treatments and the different risks that come with it uh, they must understand the operation as well. So what I would normally say is that um, I'll be doing a laparoscopic or keyhole procedure. That's usually my um, my go-to for gallbladders. And the reason I prefer to do laparoscopic procedures is it's associated with um, a reduced risk of wound infections, a shorter hospital stay, reduced post-operative pain, um, but it can be, in, uh, in it can be associated with an increased risk of bile duct injury. Um, Obviously, I'm talking in broad strokes right now. Uh, Procedures can convert to open if the case is particularly difficult or if there are complications. And if a patient is critically ill or if general anesthesia is contraindicated, a percutaneous cholecystostomy tube might be used or might be inserted instead. Um, To answer your question, how I would consent a patient is that I would make sure that um, the patient understands the uh, risks of the procedure, risks of not having the procedure, and anaesthetic risks. And when you talk about the risk of the procedure, I'd make sure I use layman's terms. Um, I would describe the, or I would categorise the risks as general and specific. General risks are risks that happen with all operations, bleeding, pain, infection, scarring, the risk of hernia formation afterwards. And specific risks of this operation in particular include damage to the surrounding structures like the bile ducts, uh, and this may result in further operations, damage to the bowel upon laparoscopic entry, uh, the formation of adhesions, gallstone spillage, and sometimes an allergy to the contrast we use and even though I prefer to do the operation laparoscopic, there's always a risk of conversion to open. And that's something that I do let my patients know. Um, obviously I would have explained the uh, procedure to the patient beforehand. So um, I would explain that the keyhole, uh, the gallbladder will be removed via a keyhole uh, surgery and intraoperatively a contrast is injected and an X-ray is performed to look for stones that are left over. And the consent forms that I use usually come with diagrams and I indicate on these diagrams where my incisions will be made. Um,
0: consenting with them, do you ever have any patients kind of ignore your? When, when we
1: talk about medical ethics, there are four major pillars of medical ethics and autonomy is one of them. Um, as long as the patient has capacity uh, to consent or not consent and understands the risks, they are um, allowed to refuse an operation um, and in the case where a patient does refuse an operation, um, I try to ensure that they have the next best management. So either that may be um, you know, being treated with antibiotics. If they wanna discharge against medical advice, i make sure that they have adequate follow-up. Um, I try to call their GP to ensure that there is a backup plan. And I'll let the patient know that our emergency department is always open. If they do choose to leave, we're always happy to see them again.
0: I think a lot of people would always hear about for this particular procedure, the critical view. Can you explain a bit more about that and some more relevant anatomy that's important for this type of surgery?
1: Yeah, so the critical view of safety should really be obtained intraoperatively. And there are three criteria that are required to achieve this critical view. Uh, The hepatocystic triangle um, must be cleared of fat and fibrous tissue. Uh, the lower one third of the gallbladder should be separated from the liver to expose the cystic plate and two and only two structures should be seen entering the gallbladder. Uh, it's quite important to understand the anatomy of the gallbladder before an operation. It's, it's important to understand the anatomy of any, any organ you're operating on really. Definitely. Um, but there are a few things that will come up in exams and really you should know while you're doing a cholecystectomy, okay. um, callous triangle and the hepatic triangle. So callous triangle is bounded by the cystic duct, the cystic artery and the common hepatic duct. And the hepatic triangle is bound by the gallbladder wall, cystic duct and common hepatic duct with the cystic artery lying within the space.
0: I hope everyone listening is getting this high yield material right here for their exams. Okay. So can you walk us through a bit of a step-by-step of how the surgery goes?
1: So the cholecystectomy procedure consists of uh, detaching the gallbladder from the biliary tree by a division of the cystic duct, a division of the cystic artery and subsequent removal of the gallbladder from its attachments from the gallbladder fossa. And up until the early 1990s, the operation was usually performed through a large incision uh, in the right upper quadrant called Cocker's incision. And the first laparoscopic cholecystectomy was only performed in 1985 in Germany Uh, Interestingly, there are uh, variations to this, the single incision laparoscopic uh, surgery approach and um, natural orifice transliminal endoscopic surgery have also been described. And this is scarless abdominal surgery using a flexible endoscopy via the mouth of the vagina to remove gallbladder, but that's that's not what I do. Uh, There are many variations in techniques and uh, the number and sizes of ports used and where to stand whether to perform a routine intraoperative cholangiogram or not. Um, but here I will describe how I perform a laparoscopic cholecystectomy.
0: Oh, well, I'd just like to say, just as a medical student, I've definitely never seen a gallbladder being uh, taken through the vaginal orifice, but that's quite interesting.
1: I can only say I've seen it online on YouTube, but I have never seen it in real life.
0: But okay, I, well,
1: I, 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 I am not familiar with uh, that that form of operation
0: yeah let's stick with the with the standard (laughs)
1: Uh, so in an appropriately consented patient i perform a who timeout i make sure antibiotics are given and i make sure the patient is anesthetized afterwards i prep and drape the patient the patient is positioned supine with their left arm tucked in and their right arm extended i usually perform this operation from the patient's left i perform a Hassan entry with a 10 millimeter port in the umbilicus After establishing pneumoperitoneum, I position the patient head up and I tilt the patient towards me. I use a standard four port technique. So three additional five millimeter ports are introduced, one in the epigastrium, one in the right upper quadrant and one in the right lower quadrant, approximately two finger breadths below the costal margin. And I do this under direct vision. Uh, I insert a ratcheted instrument through the right lower quadrant port. And with this instrument, I grasp the gallbladder and retract it cranially to expose Hartman's pouch and Callow's triangle. This grasper is my assistant's grasper. I place it into my assistant's left hand. My assistant is usually holding the camera with their right hand. Now, I start the operation. Using my left hand, I insert a uh, grasper Uh, usually a dolphin nose grasper through the epigastric port, and I apply traction to Hartman's pouch. In my right hand, I use a hook diathermy for dissection. I make a peritoneal incision at the medial aspect of the lower border of Hartman's pouch, and I continue to divide the peritoneum around the base of the gallbladder, up its medial and lateral borders with the liver. I carefully dissect Callow's triangle out to expose the cystic duct and the artery, the artery lies, or usually lies, between the duct and the liver plate, and it's usually related to a cystic lymph node. This lymph node is eponymously named Lund's node. Following the isolation of this structure, these structures, I continue to dissect the lower third of the proximal gallbladder from the liver, and I reveal the critical view of safety, which we spoke about earlier. I then apply a metal clip to the cystic duct, adjacent to the gallbladder, and I make a small incision in the duct with laparoscopic scissors to permit my cholangiographic catheter. I place the catheter in, and I confirm my position, and I inject my or I inject ten mils of diluted contrast into the cystic duct under X-ray guidance. On the X-ray screen, I look for a few things. I look for flow and taper of contrast into the duodenum. I look for proximal filling of the common bile duct and I look for filling of three proximal hepatic ducts. I make sure that there is an absence of filling defect in the CBD uh, that might indicate that there are stones left over. And I assess the anatomy of the biliary tree. Here I can look for spiral valves. I can look for aberrant uh, insertions and I can make sure or I can I can see whether I've damaged any other biliary structures during my dissection. After I've confirmed all these features, I withdraw my catheter and place additional clips on the duct below my fenestration and on the artery. I then divide the artery and the duct with scissors, ensuring I've left two clips on the duct and three on the artery and a safe cuff of tissue beyond the proximal clips. After this, I grasp the Hartman's pouch with my left hand and retract it cranially so I can dissect the gallbladder off the liver bed in the layer of the cystic plate. And during this dissection, I make a conscious effort to stay very, very close to the gallbladder. After the gallbladder is separated from the liver, I retrieve it using an endoscopic catch bag via the umbilical port. And I make a final inspection of the operative field to make sure there's no bleeding or bile leak and I remove each port under vision to check for hemostasis. So that's the laparoscopic part done. Afterwards, I turn off my camera and I close the umbilical port with OPDS and I use a 3O monocryl for the skin. I infiltrate with local anesthesia and I dress the wound. And to finish, I perform a WHO sign out.
0: Very comprehensive, thank you. And can you tell us what happens after that with the follow-up and the recovery of the patient?
1: So usually patients who have had laparoscopic cholecystectomies are admitted overnight on the surgical ward. Um, They receive analgesia as required. I am happy for my patients to have a low-fat diet, and I would like them to mobilise as soon as possible. Um, I make sure that they have adequate VTE prophylaxis as well. On discharge, usually the next morning, I make sure that they are able to tolerate their diet, their pain is under control. And the typical recovery from this procedure, um, I usually say no heavy lifting for about six weeks and that's nothing over five kilos. I usually ask my patients not to drive for approximately one week and to resume work when well.
0: And what key takeaways do you have for students or other health professionals that are listening at home to this case?
1: I think the most important thing about a laparoscopic cholecystectomy is the uh, anatomy you can't understand well you need to know what's normal to know what's abnormal and this is an area where there can be a lot of variations aberrant anatomy can include short cystic ducts aberrant hepatic ducts right hepatic arteries that cross anterior to the common bile duct and if you don't Recognize this, it's very easy to cause um, bad injuries, which require major operations to fix. So, anatomy is key.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know your schedule is absolutely insane. And I think our listeners will really appreciate all the advice and insight. And thank and, you to our listeners as well. Don't forget to follow our Instagram page, The Operating List, where we will post more details about our guests and the interesting or high-yield surgical cases. And of course, feel free to give us any feedback on anything you would like to hear in the future. Thank you. Thank you. you.